0: Barefooting with Sierra uses Buzzsprout. Just start with the equipment you already have and a quiet space. Add Buzzsprout and your podcast is ready to go. You'll get a great looking podcast website, audio players that you can drop into other websites, detailed analytics to show how people are listening, tools to promote your episodes, and more. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners. Following the link in the show notes lets Buzzsprout know that I sent you, gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan and help support the show. The team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout and get your message out to the world. Hello and welcome to episode 53 of Barefooting with Sierra. This podcast is recorded on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral land of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Ojibwe, and Nakota Sioux. I also would like to acknowledge that this land is home to the Métis Nation of Alberta, and that I'm a settler on this land. My name is Sierra Larson, better known as Barefoot Sierra. I'm a novelist, comic creator, and independent journalist. I use they-them pronouns, and I have been living without shoes since 2010. I created this podcast to keep my audiences in touch with all of my projects, to talk about things I care about, and to interact with the awesome people in my various professional networks. I'm going to break this podcast up into four parts, novels, comics, journalism, and barefooting, each representing a different aspect of my professional life. I'll give you updates on what I'm working on, let you know about any new works you can see, and keep you in the know about when I do free book giveaways on Amazon. This episode, I interviewed children's author Virginia Moore. Let's get started. First up, novels, which means it's time for my interview with Virginia Moore. Thanks so much for joining me. Please tell the listeners a little about yourself, where you're from, and what you do.
1: Okay. Thank you, Sierra, for inviting me to join you tonight and for allowing me to um, share my book with your audience. I am from Western Pennsylvania, and I am a wife and mother and grandmother. The greatest blessing of my life is to be able to say that I've been all of those three things. And for a time in my life, I worked in education with special needs children. Um, So um, that was just valuable and really moved me, you know, to be able to to see see what their struggles are and just um, be able to have a, hopefully have a positive message to share with all children everywhere.
0: Wonderful. And uh, you've you've written this wonderful book about a cute little possum. And I just I love it so much. Could you tell us, you know, kind of what your your process was for that?
1: Oh, I would love to. Um, uh, First, I'd like to tell you kind of what inspired me to write the book. I I always enjoyed um, being read to as a child. My parents read to me often and read poetry. And this book is written in rhyme. And I enjoyed um, reading to my own children. And I believe that children's books can send a simple but yet profound message and and teach valuable life lessons. So I enjoyed the, uh, the idea of doing that. And then when my children were little, I would write little stories about our family dog, um, Annabelle, and adventures with my children, always hoping to one day publish a book. And I was hoping to collaborate with my husband. Um, I can't draw to save my soul, but he, he's artistic. <laughs> so he did the illustrations. And um, I just have a great love for children and for animals, both, and a and concern for their well-being. So I hope that this book sends a positive message to children. So that is, and I um, really think that as far as um, an animal, the possum is kind of underappreciated and undervalued. So yeah, um, that kind of is what inspired me to write the book. Um, uh, so uh, yeah, I just always wanted to do it and it, it was a fun process. Um, did you want to know a little more about the the process of of getting a book published? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure my listeners
0: would love to to hear about that.
1: Okay, I we we came up with our manuscript, and and I walked my dogs frequently. We lived on a rural property in Western Pennsylvania till just recently, and I would walk them every day, and we would frequently see possums you know or occasionally maybe not frequently and I just stories would come to me while I was walking and I wrote one down one day and I was i had read it to my children I was talking with my son and he said well I know where you could you know you could send your manuscript mom so so I sent my manuscript to Christian Faith Publishing and they accepted it and then you go through the process of editing. And that took some time and some back and forth. And then the process of sending the illustrations and getting the, the book put together. And then they take care of the, the printing and the ISBN numbers and getting it you know, um, into the hands of retailers.
0: Wonderful. I might have to move to Pennsylvania so I can see more possums. I love possums. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you definitely do. They are so, they're such cute animals and they, they offer so much. They're so valuable. Um, they, they eat ticks, you know, so they help to cut down. You probably know all this, but they cut down on the spread of Lyme disease. And they are, um, they, they are mu- nearly immune to snake venom and to um, rabies. So, you know, the scientists have studied them uh, to, to help come up with um, an anti-venom uh, for human beings. So they are, they are such a valuable part of our ecosystem and created with a unique purpose. Our creator makes everything with its own unique beauty and purpose. And that's the message of my book, you know, that each person is created uniquely, and they have a great, I believe they have a grand purpose and that we shouldn't try to be something or somebody we're not just focused on our own strengths and we'll live our most purpose-filled life.
0: Absolutely. Um, When I read your book to my son, because it's, it's awesome possibilities so just from that I'm like it's a book about a possum I'm buying oh, it I don't yeah. care if it's the worst book in the world it's about a possum like I love that. anything it? possum I'm gonna buy it like <laughs> so I'm, I'm reading it to my son and he's he's he has autism and he's kind oh. of been struggling with that lately because he's yeah. he's eight and he's kind of at the age where he's starting to notice that he's different from some mm-hmm. of the other kids his age yeah and he's been saying like, I don't want to be autistic. I I don't like this. And
1: yeah. like oh. my,
0: my brother and I have been talking to him. It's like, you know, do you think, do you think God made a mistake when he made you this way? Of course not. Cause God doesn't do that, but yes, you
1: really, really right. enjoy Amen.
0: It's <laughs> like, you know, if, if these weird Bizarre creatures that you know randomly pass out when they get scared and (laughs) yeah
1: yes and that and people I don't know people understand that's not they faint because they are under stress and and they give off a foul odor which oh yeah (laughs) right so God has a plan for the possum and He definitely definitely has a beautiful plan and design for your purpose for for your son's life and He has so much to offer and all the struggles bring us to a, a higher place where we can minister to others, I think. So, yeah. Well, and so I hope the book spoke to him.
0: It definitely did. And it's, it spoke to me too. Just,
1: oh, it's a beautiful wonderful. book. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. It was so much fun to create and, you know, just, I can lose myself in, in the writing process. And maybe we all have a children's book in us. So
0: <laughs> Hey, maybe. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just um just really enjoyed the time spent doing it and the time with my husband, you know, it was fun to watch him create too, to to do the illustration. So, yes. Yeah. yeah, that's
0: That would be really fun to do together as a couple.
1: Yes, it was. It really was.
0: <laughs> yeah, do you have any advice for anyone who is thinking of writing a children's book?
1: Um, I would say to just I think you have to know it'll be a it's a process. And, you know, it took probably a year to to get to the place where we could publish the book. Um, And I would say, you know, just just understand there'll be setbacks. Like once we wrote the book, we found an editing error, and you have to they had to pull the book for a time. And then they were able, I mean, you know, that took a little longer than you think. And you're so excited when it first comes out. So just to plan on, you know, it'll take some time, but anything good is worth waiting for, right? Worth worth working hard towards. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. Uh, Where can people find your book?
1: Um, It is available through Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Walmart. Um, on through Walmart and Target and, and many independent bookstores also. So, um, that's where they can find it. And again, I just hope the message resonates with children everywhere. I, I hope they're blessed by it. Yeah.
0: I know I definitely was and my son was. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Virginia. Thank
1: you for the opportunity to share. And you have a wonderful evening. And and give your son a hug for me, please. (laughs) Have a great night. (laughs) Bye-bye.
0: Virginia did something pretty amazing for my listeners. She sent me an autographed hardback copy of her book, Awesome Possibilities, to give away to one lucky listener. To enter the giveaway, visit the podcast's Instagram page at barefooting with Sierra. Now on to comics. In comics news, DC's latest Superman John Kent, son of Clark and Lois Kent, came out as bisexual in the teaser for the upcoming Superman son of Kyle, which showed him kissing his friend Jay Nakamura. According to TMZ, Angry Fans quote, inundated the studio with complaints and threats. After what WREG News called credible threats, DC Comics staffers requested LAPD officers to patrol outside the homes of several artists and production workers in order to keep an eye out for their safety. Superman Son of Ka'el is still scheduled to hit shelves on November 9th. It's 2021, people. Bisexual people exist. Whoever made these credible threats over a drawing of two boys kissing needs to seriously examine what is going on internally that is making them act so aggressively. I think it's great that DC is bringing in a new generation of diverse characters across the ethnic and sexuality spectrum. Representation is so important! Speaking of representation and diversity in comics, you should check out Calico by Sigma Comics. Issue number three just came out, so you don't have a bunch of backstory to get caught up on. Just in this one comic issue, you have a crime boss with Down Syndrome, a gang whose members all happen to be little people, and a skateboarding double amputee. All the diverse cast of characters actually fit into the story as whole developed people, rather than one-dimensional diversity checklists that so many of the books I grew up reading must have been forcing their background characters into. I highly recommend Calico. All right, next up is journalism. In current events, in something I didn't even know could happen, different departments of the U.S. government are suing each other over President Biden's executive order requiring federal employees to get fully vaccinated by December 8th. The states of Georgia, Alabama, Idaho, Kansas, South Carolina, freaking Utah, and Virginia. Governors of Georgia, Idaho, Alabama, and South Carolina, Board of Regents of the University System of Georgia, Georgia and Alabama Departments of Agriculture, Alabama Department of Public Health, Alabama Department of Rehabilitation Services, Idaho State Board of Education, and Kansas Attorney General are the plaintiffs in the class action suit against President Joe Biden, the Safer Federal Worker Ta- Workforce Task Force and its co-chairs, United States Office of Personnel Management and its director, Office of Management and Budget and its director, General Services Administration and its Administrator, the Director of the Federal Protective Service, Director of the Secret Service, the Administrator of the Federal Emergency Management Agency, or FEMA, Director of the Center for Disease Control, or CDC, Department of Defense and the Secretary of Defense, Department of Health and Human Services and its Secretary, National Institute of Health, Veterans Affairs and its Secretary, National Science Foundation and its director, Department of Commerce and its secretary, freaking NASA and its administrator, the Department of Transportation and its director, and the Department of Energy and the Energy Secretary. Like, let's just take a minute to soak all that in. The Alabama Department of Health, the University System in Georgia, and Idaho's Board of Education are suing the CDC, FEMA, the National Science Foundation, and NASA. Because they don't want to get their Fauci ouchies. Okay, let's hear them out. What are their complaints to court? The federal government is insisting that every federal contractor fully comply by December 8th, 2021, which means employees have mere days to begin their two-shot regimen. Not exactly. Biden signed this executive order on September 9th. If federal contract employees still haven't gotten their first shot, it's not Biden's fault or the like Department of Transportation or... Like any of the other people they're suing? Okay, what else? Some agencies have received notice of their need to comply with this mandate or lose all their funding within the past few days, leaving compliance all but impossible. It's like people who whine about the cable company cutting off their TV and internet after not paying for months. It is a term of your contract. The person issuing the contract has changed the terms of the contract. If you're not going to uphold your end, you will not continue to reap the benefits. Goodbye. Utah will face irreparable harm if forced to comply. How? Here's what I don't get about Utah. Most of the people living in Utah are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. The leader of the church made it pretty clear that members need to get vaccinated. On August 12th, Russell M. Nelson, the president of the church, issued the following statement We find ourselves fighting a war against the ravages of COVID 19 and its variants, an unrelenting pandemic. We want to do all we can to limit the spread of these viruses. We know that protection from the diseases they cause can only be achieved by immunizing a very high percentage of the population. To limit exposure to these viruses, we urge the use of face masks in public meetings whenever social distancing is not possible. To provide personal protection from severe infections, we urge individuals to be vaccinated. Available vaccines have proven to be safe and effective. Melissa Hollyoak, a representative for Attorney General Sean D. Reyes, represented Utah. Utah's governor, lieutenant governor, and attorney general are all members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They, along with the majority of the state, should already be vaccinated if they listen to their religious leader. The church is so interwoven with politics in Utah, and I'm honestly disgusted by it. So this anachronism of Utah fighting against something the church leader most of the state hails as a profit it's all but commanding them to do it's a bit shocking let's see what else is in the lawsuit throughout the fact-finding section the plaintiffs claim the government now has power to enforce a vaccine mandate which okay even though the state kind of have to follow vaccine mandates according to supreme court precedent we'll get into that a bit later Another one of the complaints is that anyone who has a government contract has to require all their other non-contract employees to get vaccinated if there's a chance they could come into contact with a contractor. The example they give in the lawsuit is if someone is working under contract for NASA, if they share a parking garage or an elevator with a non-contract employee, then everyone in the building has to get vaccinated and somehow this is a violation of people's rights or something. The lawsuit lays out a hypothetical situation where all the employees who don't want the vaccine quit and it causes a supply chain crisis. According to the Brookings Institution, around 15% of the U.S. population works for the government in some capacity. According to the Mayo Clinic, currently less than 60% of eligible people in the United States are fully vaccinated, and a little over 30% have not even had the first dose. So let's say all of the 15% of the people who work for the government are in that 30% unvaccinated. It's unlikely, but possible. If all of them quit suddenly, yes, it would be a crisis. How likely is that, though? Well, according to the lawsuit, they did a survey, and uh, 70% of unvaccinated workers said they would quit rather than get vaccinated. A big fear that the lawsuit reiterates over and over is that there's no time to get everybody vaccinated. I don't feel bad for them. They've had months to do this. The vaccines have been available since the spring. I got my first dose in April, and I know some people who were already double vaccinated by then. It's not like this is something they announced yesterday. And then they're like, the University of Georgia is where the flu vaccine under contract gets made. From the CDC, if we mandate vaccines and everybody quits, this is going to be bad for everyone. Like, y'all literally make vaccines. And you're worried people are going to quit because they have to get vaccinated? And your solution is to sue the CDC who you have a contract with? Like, what are y'all doing? Alabama is complaining because they signed a state law in May that made it illegal to ask for proof of vaccination under the guise of protecting individuals' health information. And they're saying that the federal mandate violates their state law. This is actually kind of a gray area because while federal law supersedes state law, executive orders aren't technically laws. Good luck winning in court, though, because there's legal precedent from the Supreme Court saying states have to comply with mandatory vaccination orders. 1905's Jacobson versus Massachusetts. The part that blows my mind the most is Alabama's Department of Public Health. According to the lawsuit, ADHP has over 2,600 employees. Many of these employees are unvaccinated and many are likely to quit their jobs if forced to receive the COVID-19 vaccination as a condition of further employment. Why are you working in public health if you don't believe in the principles of public health and why do you think suing the president, the CDC, the National Institute of Health and FEMA is going to change that? A lot of the complaints in the lawsuit talk about how much money the states will lose if they don't comply. I think that's what most of this lawsuit boils down to. Profits over people. Here's the thing, though. The government can and will take their contracts elsewhere. It's not going to be a supply chain disruption. Your state is going to suffer, though, and it's going to be your fault for not following public health orders. But hey, if they don't want all that federal money, I know someone who does. The federal government gave $8 million in grants to Hawaii universities to support the success of Native Hawaiian students. The grants include $3 million to indigenize the University of Hawaii at Hilo and Hawaii community campuses. If you, like me, are wondering what the heck does indigenize mean, not to worry, I'm about to explain. The main goals are to increase Native Hawaiian enrollment and graduation. And to build indigenous resources and spaces for native hawaiian student and faculty engagement and notice which state isn't suing the president last but not least let's talk about barefooting in barefoot news los angeles bureau of street services is coating asphalt roads with an acrylic and sand mixture in an attempt to reduce the temperature in the city Black asphalt absorbs 80-90% to 90% of the sun's radiation, according to Sustainability Officer Greg Spots. This light grey acrylic mixture only absorbs 60-65%, to 65%, which means it holds less heat and can reduce the surface temperature by at least 10 degrees Fahrenheit or 5 Celsius. The goal is to combat the city's heat island effect, where asphalt and buildings hold heat, causing the city to become warmer than the surrounding area san fernando valley resident christina brown spoke to spectrum news one about the increasing temperature in her lifetime quote i remember running outside barefoot you can't do that now she said the ground hurts it's so hot end quote the gray acrylic seems to be helping not only with the surface temperatures but also with the surrounding area scans from the international space station showed the air temperature in neighborhoods around the new acrylic dropping by an average two degrees Fahrenheit. This is the kind of innovation to combat climate change that I've been waiting my whole life to see. I'm so excited by this. That's all for this week's episode. I'll be back next week with an interview with illustrator Natasha Donovan. Thanks so much for listening in. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to sierrathebarefootgirl at gmail.com. Thank you to Legion X for my intro and outro music. You can find me on Twitter at Sierra Barefoot and on TikTok at SierraIsBarefoot. All of my books are available on Amazon and my website is SierraTheBarefootGirl.com. My Patreon is Patreon.com slash Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. Until next time, this has been Barefooting with Sierra.